Good morning. We are uh, continuing our study through parenting, and uh, we're getting to our last few classes. Next week we'll look at um, corporal punishment, and then we'll finish up two weeks from now. But today we want to look at peacemaking. That seems to be uh, one of the main responsibilities that we have as parents to make peace because there's constantly conflict. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Let me uh, begin with a word of prayer and uh, ask God for help. Father, we're thankful for uh, your grace, thankful for this day in which we can reflect on the impact and influence that our mothers have had on us, and uh, we're thankful for how you have uh, shaped us and molded us through their influence. And we pray that you would be honored in our service of you today, our service of worship. One of the ways that we worship you is by conforming our minds to your word. We want to do that this morning as we uh, look into your word and and uh, glean principles from it with regard to how we can help be better peacemakers for those of us who are parents and for those who are not. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the following uh, summary, these 12 principles of peacemaking come from a a little booklet uh, that Corlette Sandy put together. She's the husband of uh, Ken Sandy who wrote the book, The Peacemakers, and uh, she drew a lot of these principles from his work and has used them now to help us think more carefully about parenting. Um, James 3.18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And obviously, we know that the opposite of peace, if we are not being peacemakers, what's naturally going to happen is that there's going to be conflict. Conflict is is a clash between hostile or opposing elements or ideas. So when one child has an opposing idea from another, there's conflict. Or it could be from a parent to a child. Or obviously, we could talk about it in all sorts of relationships. There are going to be fights and quarrels as we raise our children and we want to be uh, peacemakers, but we also want to teach our children how to be peacemakers themselves so that they're not not only uh, not stirring up conflict, but that they're learning how to settle other people's conflicts as well. So how do we do this? Making young peacemakers. Number one, We need to understand and we need to teach them that conflict is a slippery slope. Turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at all these verses this morning. Sometimes we don't have time to to look and I just cite them for you. But but today I think it would be helpful if we just looked at each reference here. Romans 12.18. Someone read that for us. Alright, so here's Paul talking to believers at the church in Rome. He's saying, do your best to to be at peace with everyone. And if we're not doing that, then there's going to be conflict. And if we want to think about conflict, we could divide it up into three zones. Zone number one, we could call the zone of escape. This is... um, Instead of trying to resolve the problem, we escape. And there are three ways that that shows up. One is denial. Okay, denial. Pretending that the conflict doesn't exist. 
and refusing to deal with it. Okay, I mean, uh, even if you're not in a position where you're currently working with your children to understand these things, you can see these show up in your life. That when there's conflict in your life, either at work or or in your marriage or whatever, this is one of the ways you can deal with it. One of the wrong ways you can deal with it, denying that there's a problem and not even dealing with it. Number two is the blame game. You can think of the, think about Adam and Eve and how um, both of them were involved in the blame game. You know, passing the blame to someone else. It wasn't my fault. It was you, God. It was the woman that you gave to me. So it was you, and it was this woman that caused me to sin. And of course, she said, "No, it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault." Um, then the third type of escape. Um, third type of way that we can escape is by just running from the problem, running from settling the conflict. Now, in some cases, it's helpful. We have examples of people in Scripture who actually run away from conflict, and at times that is the proper response. But, but, um, but at other times it's not. You know, if it's if it's not uh, to, in order to protect ourselves from physical harm, sometimes it's helpful to stand and and fight and settle the problems, deal with it. Second idea, second way this shows up is by attacking. The second way we respond wrongly is by attacking the other person. We put pressure on other people in order to get our way. And so this could come in the form of you know, criticism or cynicism, using harsh and cruel wor- words. You know, the the person who's the harshest to the other person is the one who's going to win. This could show up in gossip. Instead of talking to the person directly, we talk behind their back to someone else and um, and basically air our dirty laundry that way. Or we could actually fight using physical force. So, when there's conflict, when I don't get my way, you know, we can see this in our children, toddlers, whatever, however, whatever age they are, we see them respond in these ways. They fight. They, they are literally physically combative. Third way in which we respond wrongly is we... Uh, I'm sorry, this is the way we respond rightly. This is the third option. That is, we work it out. This is a way in which we lead to constructive solutions and help to preserve relationships. And that can be seen in in working out or overlooking an offense. You simply decide, you know what, they have wronged me. Uh, Or we teach our children, you know what, that child has wronged you, but you can still respond by overlooking that offense. Then next, talking it out. Let's talk about the problem. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that we have so much conflict in our lives is because we don't know how to handle conflict. We don't actually sit down and talk about it with the other person involved. We're happy to talk about it with everyone else in our lives, but not actually talking about it with the person involved. And uh, and that may include, especially when we are in the wrong, it may include a confession on our part. And maybe that's why we don't want to to talk about it. And then sometimes when the problems are too big, we need to, to get help. And so for our children, this means that that we need to teach them that there are proper responses to these conflicts that are coming up in life. Instead of throwing a temper tantrum, instead of blaming on someone else, instead of just 
you know, sulking or hiding in the corner and getting mad, um, pouting. You know, there are proper responses that you can have to actually work out this conflict and and create peace, even in the midst of conflict. Without dealing with the problem, it becomes a, a, a slippery slope because we can't stay on top of the problem. All right, so... Conflict is a slippery slope. We want to deal with it instead of avoid it. Second principle is that conflict starts in the heart. Turn to James chapter 4. And would someone read verses 1 and 2? What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Your lusts and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. I heard a pastor uh, recently, uh, he's out of Chicago, and he was saying that he was on a trip uh, with a friend of his, and they were dealing with some, um, they were just talking about some things, and, and he knew that he could trust this man that he was with, a friend of his. And so he's ta- talking about a problem that he was having with his wife. Um, the pastor was talking about the problem. And he said, you know, I I know there's something wrong with this situation. I want you to s- just evaluate it for me. I'm not trying to, you know, minimize or, or put down my wife in any way. I, w- I really want to see what's in my heart. So let me explain to you the situation. And so he, he, he went on to say, you know, I come home from work after a long day of work and I come home and I have this picture in my mind that when I come home, that there's going to be food on the table and and everything's going to be looking really nice. And I came home and that picture wasn't there. That wasn't the picture I saw. Instead, I saw my wife on the phone talking to her mom. And I gave her one of these nonverbal com- communications that we give, you know, and mine was kind of like this, which is, you know, speed the process up a little bit. Let's get this food on the table. Is this... And and he said, then I said something to her. I said, is this really the time that you need to be talking to your mom? And uh, the the man who was listening to this pastor in the car uh, said to him uh, after some thought, James 4.1 says that the source of quarrels and fighting among you comes from your heart. That is, the reason that there is a conflict, the reason that you see this as a conflict is not because of something outside of you, but it's something that's in your heart. And you need to handle that conflict. Notice this first verse again. What is the source? For one, what is the source of quarrels and conflict among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in you? You lust and do not have. You commit murder even. You're envious and do not attain. So you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask. The reason that we have conflicts and fights, the reason that we can't settle these things is because the the conflict starts in our hearts. And if we don't understand that key principle, if we don't help our children to understand that, those of you who are grandparents, if you don't help your grandchildren to understand that, then they're not going to be able to settle their conflicts in a biblical way. And those will only uh, escalate over time. So help them to see that 
the conflict starts in their heart. Number three, choices have consequences. Galatians 6, verse 7. Would someone read that one for us? All right, so we have a very basic principle here. Whatever you plant in the ground, that's what's going to come up. Okay, if, you're, if you plant an apple seed, don't expect that you're going to get a cherry tree. Right? Uh, it, whatever you plant in the ground, that's what's going to come up. And this is the same thing. Uh, obviously, we're applying this to our conflict. If we're sowing conflict, then we're going to reap the judgment from the conflict. We're going to get, reap greater conflict, but also we want them to understand, our children that is, that if they sow good things, if they sow godly things, they're going to reap godly consequences. They're going to reap rewards and trust and confidence and so on. We want to drive that home that, you know, your consequences, the consequences of the things, of your choices are very important. So that means that your choices are very important. You are connected very closely to your your consequences, and so make wise choices instead of instead of bad or or fruitless choices. Oh, Galatians six seven. Was it? I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah. Should I'm sorry. Yeah, at the top it should say choices have consequences. Mhm. All right. Yeah, this is this is correct. Your your handout is incorrect, so you can change it on there. Choices have consequences. All right. Any other uh, questions or comments so far on these first three? All right. Proverbs fourteen eight is the next one. Proverbs fourteen eight. Principle number four. Wise way choices are better than my way choices. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. All right, so the wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way. So we want to actually understand what we're doing here. When we make these choices, we want to understand ourselves. We want to understand as best we can even our motives behind it. Obviously, we can't understand our own motives on our own. Only the Scriptures can actually reveal motives. That's what Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 talk about. And so that's why we want to be sensible, turning to the Word of God. My way approaches, you know, I have a sinful desire, and that sinful desire leads to a bad choice, which leads to a bad consequence and and bad feelings. But the wise way approaches that, that we confess our sinful desires and pray for God to help us to please Him. Pray to God that, that He would help to reveal our, our motives and our, our, um, our thinking behind our choices. And uh, so if we want to prevent conflict, we need to make wise choices. And included in this, we could say something about seeking godly advice. It would be helpful for our children to understand that, you know, um, obviously the best advice we can get is from the Scriptures, but 
sometimes it's difficult to understand what the scriptures are speaking about. Um, and so, so seek out wise counsel in a situation that's maybe not as clear. Wise way choices are better than my way choices. Number five, the blame game makes conflict worse. Chapter 28, verse 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Remember the the first zone, the response that we can have to conflict, and that was escape. And that's what this verse is talking about. If you hide, if you conceal your transgression, you're not going to prosper, the Proverbs tell us. So, that includes things like, you know, passing the blame. It's not really sin that's coming from me. Sin is coming from them. And so, let's deal with their sin. And, you know, we ought to deal with other people's sin, but the very first place we ought to turn is to our own heart. We need to deal with our own sin first. And so we're we're quick to cover things up. And, you know, sometimes one of the blessings, I think, of kids is that they help to see the flaws within our own hearts. Um, you know, because, you know, with kids, they, they tend to be pretty open, pretty obvious, uh, uh, and and we can see right through a lot of their their silly ideas, and yet that's often the way our hearts work, just like them. But we're just a little bit more sophisticated in hiding our sin. They're not as discreet. They're not able to think as uh, cleverly as we can about hiding our sin. And yet we we see that see it in them all the time. We want to help them to see that concealing their sin doesn't doesn't cause you to prosper. Uh, you know, oh, that that wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. You know, that that was not me. And then, of course, you know, you ask around and no one else did it either. Um, and uh, and that's never never helpful. Number six, let's, we ought to teach them and we ought to treat conflict like an opportunity. First Corinthians ten thirty one, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We can help our our children to see that conflict can be an opportunity to glorify God. So let's think about all of life in the way that we think about 1 Corinthians 10, even to the point of eating and drinking to the glory of God. If we can do those types of things, then all of life can be lived to the glory of God. So let's get our children to start thinking that way. Here's a conflict that's come up. Your ultimate purpose in life is to glorify God. So how can you glorify God in your response to this situation? You know, maybe it was a conflict generated by another child or by, you know, maybe even a child that's not your own, someone in school or something. How can we respond in a God-glorifying way? How can we build trust in God by by watching Him carry out His plan in this situation? Okay, what about, um, how can we use this as a way to serve people? Doesn't Jesus tell us to love our enemies? and to do good to those who hate us, and to bless those who curse us, and to pray for those who mistreat us. Well, here we go. Here's a conflict that maybe is not generated by our child. Let's help teach them that they can actually respond in a God-glorifying way. They use this as an opportunity to actually um, respond with good to someone who has brought evil upon them. 
All right, so conflict can be an opportunity. Number seven. Any questions on one through six? All right, instead of turning to First John, would someone quote First John 1, 9 for us? You know that one's pretty well-known verse. If we... And to cleanse us. Okay, good. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's talk about how we can resolve conflict. How we can. First of all, we need to understand something about the foundation of resolving conflict. And that is that we need to understand something about repentance and confession and forgiveness. And that verse, God calls us, this is referring to our relationship with Him, we confess our sins to Him, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But we also know that in the Lord's Prayer that we are to be forgiving those who who have trespassed against us. The, the prayer that Jesus modeled for the disciples to learn. And so instead of escaping from our conflict, remember that first one, escaping, either doing the blame game or denial or something else. Okay, instead of that, we're actually we're handling the conflict. We're dealing with it from a biblical way. And here are the five A's that are laid out in this little booklet. And the first is to admit... Admit that you are wrong. Okay, When there is a conflict and you have generated the conflict or you are a part of the conflict and that you contributed to the conflict, then you need to admit that you're wrong. Now, don't, don't ever force your children to a place to admit that they're wrong when they're, when they're not. Okay, Make sure you have clear evidence that they are wrong before you... Because sometimes kids just want to appease you. And if you get them into a a mode where they're just doing what you want them to do, even though they don't really, you know, they they didn't do anything wrong, for example, then that's not actually helpful. That's going to teach them just to conform on the outside. Remember, we're trying to get at their heart, trying to get God to get at their heart. And so help them to see that they need to admit that they're wrong, to apologize for how their choice affected someone else, to accept the consequences for their choice, ask for forgiveness, and then alter their choice in the future. You know, our children, and of course, obviously, when I talk about them, we can see this in ourselves as well. When we're sorry for getting caught, that is what the Scriptures call a worldly sorrow that does not lead to repentance. What we want to see in ourselves and in our children is, is a godly sorrow that does lead to repentance. And that means that we're not sorry so much for getting caught. Yeah, we don't like the consequences of it, but we're sorry for actually doing the wrong. We're actually sorry for wronging another person who's made in the image of God. We're actually sorry about wronging God Himself. And so resolving conflicts, conflict is not so much focused on you know the other person. We need to help them to see that it's focused on on themselves. And obviously, if you've got two people that are contributing to the conflict, then work on both of them. Perhaps it would be helpful to do them individually. All right, number eight. Recognize that forgiveness is a choice. Ephesians 4.32, what does that say? Be kind. Yep. What's the rest? 
Okay? So, when do we forgive according to Ephesians 4.32? Do we forgive when we feel like it? Okay, we're, we're, we're commanded to forgive. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us. When we understand what Christ has done for us, then, then we're happy to forgive someone else. Notice these four myths or false ideas about, Christ, about Christian forgiveness. First, you need to feel like forgiving someone before you really can. Okay. Number two, forgiveness means forgetting about what someone did. Yeah, that, think about how hard that is, especially when the sin is, is grave, when it's serious. Number three, forgiveness excuses a person's sin. No, God's still going to deal with that person. That person still needs to deal with their sin, but that's not what forgiveness is about on our part. Forgiveness depends on getting a guarantee. Okay, If you guarantee that you won't ever do that again, then I'll forgive you. But praise God that He doesn't forgive us in that way. You know, I will forgive you when I feel like forgiving you. Or I will forgive you um, when you promise to me that you will never do it again. And obviously God's forgiveness does not mean that our sin is just ignored or eliminated. Uh, in one sense it is because Christ has taken it upon us, but it actually had to be paid for still. And so our forgiveness needs to be in the same way. It needs to be one that, that recogn- we need to have a heart of forgiveness. So sometimes you say, well, technically I can't really forgive them until they ask for forgiveness. And in a sense, that's true. We need to, you know, we don't go up to people and say, I forgive you, unless they've first come to us and said, will you forgive me? We don't just go around saying, you know, you really sinned against me. I'm pointing at Mike here, but um, <laughs> you've really sinned against me and I forgive you. Um, but we don't, we don't go around doing that. But if Mike ever comes to me and says, will you forgive me about X? Then I ought to be ready to forgive. I shouldn't have to say, well, hold on a second. I'll get back to you in two weeks because I need to feel like it first. Um, or I need to think about it. If if your asking of forgiveness was really genuine, I'll think about it and get back to you. Instead, we have to have a heart of forgiveness. We need to teach our children to have a heart of forgiveness so that when they come, if they ever come, what if they don't come? It's okay. We have a heart of forgiveness. We're happy to forgive them right when they come. Um, those of you who are married, this this will help you greatly in your marriage to think in this in these terms to be always forgiving of your spouse, even if they don't ask you for forgiveness. Okay, and we need to teach our children that. So four promises when we, uh, three promises here we need to think about when it comes to our forgiveness. One, I promise to think well of you and do good for you. I promise not to bring up the situation to use against you. And I promise to be friends with you again. All right, some practical ways and we can think about forgiveness. And again, when we are struggling with this idea of forgiveness, like I can't forgive that person. When our children are struggling, we need to point them back to the gospel. This verse is especially an especially great verse to point them to. And we sometimes we just we just quickly go over it and run our eyes through it, but the motivation is all there. It's the gospel. 
what Jesus did for us is going to motivate, it's going to drive us to want to forgive other people. The reason we ought to want to forgive other people is because we know that we've done an infinitely worse, great, a worse thing to our Savior, an infinitely greater thing to our Savior. That these little infractions that people are doing against us are, are you know, we, we could almost um, think about it like throwing a, a, a popcorn at the rock of Gibraltar. That's, that's what they're doing to us in comparison to what we did to Christ. Uh, what we did to Christ was infinitely greater. It cost Him His life. And I'm convinced that if I was the only person on the earth, that Christ would have still had to die for my sin. That's how grave my sin is before a holy God. And yet, He did that for us. If He's willing to forgive us, even though we showed no signs of life, remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, how can we not forgive someone else when they have a minor infraction against us? And you say, well, wait a second, you don't know how serious the sin is that they committed against me. Or, you know, especially in our child... Our children, they look at other sins that are committed against them. Well, I, I constantly are, I'm constantly reminding my kids that you don't understand how great your sin was against God. If you think that that sin is too great for you to forgive, then you don't understand your sin against God. So get them back to the gospel. Help, help them to see that this is a gospel issue. This is a heart issue that, that ought to be changed. They ought, to, they ought to be happy to forgive because of what Christ has done. That doesn't mean it's easy, and we'll get to that here in just a second. All right, number nine, it's never too late to start doing what is right. Um, some of you might still be in Proverbs, so 14, Proverbs 14, 22. Someone read that for us. All right. Those who um let's see is that the will they not go astray who devise evil and who, who but kindness and truth will be to those who devise. So if you look at that last line there, those who devise good will receive is the idea kindness and truth or love and faithfulness as some other translations put it. So you know, sometimes we can get so steeped in our conflict that we think, well, you know, we're kind of at the point of no return. There, there's no way for me to actually solve this problem. Do you realize how big it's become? And, and that's what happened. Remember, we talked about conflict being a slippery slope. If we don't work it out, it tends to, the webbing gets a lot, you know, more intricate and it gets harder to get out of this huge web that we've created. And, and it is hard, but it's not impossible. And that's why we need to we need to understand, we need our children to understand that it's never late, too late to start doing what is right. So let's just make the first choice. Okay? Sometimes what happens is we look at this huge this this huge the huge consequences that are ahead. Like if I start in this direction, what happens if this, this because the conflict's gotten so big? And what we need to teach our children, what we need to understand, is that they just need to start making steps of obedience. Okay, don't don't worry about what's way out ahead. You know, the conf- the consequences may be there, 
Things may get a lot worse before they get a lot better, but that's okay. Um, you know, I I think of it like um, you know, like doing a remodeling project in your house. You know, over the years, your house has kind of gotten to a place where it's not very uh, pleasant to look at and to live at, maybe in certain rooms or whatever. And so we have to we have to do this remodeling project. And we first look at the remodeling project. We think, oh. Man, there's so much going. There's so much that's going to happen. And if I do this, there's going. Okay, let's think about it in 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 larger term, long term uh, ideas, and recognize it's going to take. It's going to have to get ugly before it gets pretty. Again, right? It takes a long time. That ugly part seems to go on forever. And you know, sometimes there's some some nights where you don't get a whole lot of sleep. And that's going to happen with conflict too. Okay, we, we see this big remodeling project that has to happen, and man, that end product seems so far away. We have to recognize that sometimes it's going to get ugly, but let's just take the first step. Okay, that means breaking down that, that old drywall that needs to be taken down. Okay, let's get back behind the studs, see what's going on back there. Oh no, we got some rotting in the, in the studs. Looks like we're going to have to take out those and put in some new ones. Okay, we'll deal with them one at a time, but just teach our children that that it's never too late to start doing what is right. And sometimes when we've made the conflict so bad, uh, there, it's going to be ugly before it gets pretty, but that's okay. That's, that's a good thing. The end product's worth it. Uh, when we get done with that remodeling project, we look at it with a sense of accomplishment, sense of, of um, love for this new room that, that has been formed. We're happy to have gone through all the work that was necessary to do it. All right. Any questions on 7 through 9 or 1 through 9? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 To continue that analogy, that's a good point. Everything else starts to look a little bit dingy and now we, you know, it's like the uh, my pastor used to use an illustration of picking up sticks in your in your uh, in your lawn. You know, you pick up the big ones and you think you got everything. Go back and you're like, whoa, what? Where did these all come from? And then you pick those up and there still seems to be more. It just seems to be never ending. Eric. You mean internal in what way? Like in your heart or? Yeah. 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 I would I would say that the uh, conflict is is coming from the heart, so we need to handle it uh, in our hearts first. And these same ideas, as far as you know. Uh, the remodeling that needs to go on in our hearts, yeah, take this first step of that needs to, to to be taken. It's never too late to, you know, maybe it's like, you know, I've I've dealt with situations like this for 30, 40, 50 years uh, internally, and it's just going to be too hard for me to deal with it any other way. But let's start taking the first step. Okay, what do I need to do? What does God call me to do with regard to forgiving other people. Um, I don't know of anywhere in the Scriptures where it talks about forgiving ourselves. 
Um, I know the Scriptures talk a lot about self-love, that no man ever hated himself, but nourishes and cherishes it, his own body. I mean, so um, I don't know of anywhere. I know that's a, a, a popular way to, to talk about it, but I, I don't see any scriptural support for that sort of idea. Uh, our biggest problem, I think, is forgiving other people. Uh, forgiving, you know, uh, we, we pass the blame on other people or even on God. Not that God needs to be forgiven. He hasn't done anything wrong. Um, but we need to think about things, think, think about life in terms of how God thinks about it. And that starts with uh, conforming ourselves to, to what the Scriptures say. So, is there another thought back here? Uh, see another hand? All right, number 10. Wouldn't this be great if, if, uh, if we did this and if our children did this? Think before we speak. Proverbs 21:23. Who who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Okay, so so we need to guard our mouth. We're going to guard ourselves from trouble if we think before we speak. There's another place in Proverbs where it says, "In the multitude of words there is sin." I think it says something like, "There's no lack of sin" or something like that. So sometimes we just you know, our, our mouths are just talking and talking. We never stop and think about what we're going to say. And sometimes it's helpful um, to to um, to do that. Sometimes it's helpful. It's, it's always helpful to think before we, we talk. And so teach your children to do this. Sometimes, you know, we're kind of wired to just say things without even thinking about them. Just let it come out. Help Help our Help your children to understand that your words have power. Their words have power. They can be destructive. They can, you know, like James says, set a whole forest on fire. Um, the idea they can just generate tons of conflict. Think before you speak. Number 11, teach them about respectful communication. Okay, back to Ephesians 4, passage we just looked at um, not too long ago in on Sunday morning, Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You know, it's not enough for a child to, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Actually, that's not enough. If you don't have something nice to say, you need to figure out something nice to say and actually speak something that's helpful for the moment that's edifying. So if you raise a child who's good at just being quiet when they get frustrated, guess what's going to happen when conflict comes when they're adult, an adult? They're just going to get quiet when they get frustrated. And you know what? I don't have anything nice to say about that person, so I'm not going to talk at all. But actually what the Scriptures call us to do is to edify, to actually use these times when there is conflict to, to build up that person. So, what would this look like in our kids if we told them to do that? You know, um, you, you're having a problem right now with communicating kindly to your sibling, and so now you need to think about a way in which you can conf- communicate kindly to them. Actually, give me some examples of how you can do that, and then go do that. Um, and uh, help them to see 
that respectful communication has more to ha, has more to do than just our words with more than when than just our words it has to do with the tone of our voice we could actually say something that could be taken as kind but actually say it in a wrong way a sarcastic way or it could be our body language and um help help your children to see that um eye contact and facial expressions and body posture all those things are going to communicate what they are are trying to to say with their hearts with their words so so uh recognize that respectful communication number 12 respectful appeal can prevent conflict okay we've talked mostly about how to handle conflict once it actually comes up how do we dissipate it how do we remove it you know starts from within help giving grace to other people forgive people here here we're talking about actually preventing it how can we stop it from happening in the first place and 1 Peter 5, 5 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so I would suggest that that it requires a respectful appeal to God to to protect us and help to humble us. To help uh, help Him to, to reveal the thoughts and intents of our hearts before they come out in the you know in the pressure cooker of life you know when when life gets difficult we have all these problems that come in from all different places work and home and and society and all these things and it kind of squeezes out what's in our hearts well here's what we can do to help prevent that is we go to god with a respectful appeal and say god i know that there's sin in my heart and i know that there are clear sins that that i that i have and then we say those to, to god but i also know that there's probably some other unknown sins, some hidden sins that need to be revealed. So would you reveal those to me before they come out and you know, under the pressure of life and and help ask God to help you deal with those, help your children to see the same thing. We want to raise children that are at peace with one another. And the reason that they can and should pursue peace with one another if they are a Christian, is that God has pursued peace with them. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 So we want to raise children who are peacemakers because they have had peace made with them, with God. Again, it goes back to the Gospel. Take them to verses like that. The reason that this conflict is a problem is because it doesn't express your proper understanding at this time of what God has done with you. He's actually made peace with you. And that means that that peace ought to be being made with one another. Now, again, this is not peace at the... at the. You know, we're not sacrificing um, peace at the altar of truth. You know, we're, we're killing truth in order to have peace. That's not what I'm suggesting. Um, but instead, we're, um, we're understanding and committing ourselves to the Scriptures and applying it in a in a godly way. All right. Any questions or comments on peacemaking? All right. Next week is corporal punishment. Um, I believe very strongly that the scriptures teach this, and I'll lay out a case for that next week. And uh, so I encourage you to be here for that. And uh, so let's have a word of prayer as we as we are dismissed.
Father, we are thankful for uh, how we can see our responsibilities in Your Word and we can also see why the motivations behind them. That You have made peace with us. That You have forgiven us through what Christ has done. And so we're happy to to settle conflicts, to resolve conflicts, to even prevent conflicts because of what You have done for us. Lord, do reveal to us what is in our hearts. Help us to see from Your Word what is going on in our hearts so that we can deal with it, respond to it, turn from it, and uh, and avoid greater conflict than we already have uh, generated on our own. Lord, help us in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.